Let's go right to the text of the morning. It's a short one, and it's easy. Do you have your Bibles with you? You'll probably not get it out quick enough because it doesn't take long to read, but it's always good. I was hearing someplace, uh, one minister was saying, everybody get your Bible out. Do you have your Bibles in your hand? Do you know what the Bible says? Do you know where Mark 14, verse 9 is? Good. Here's what it says, and it'll leave you thinking, I think, a little bit. You'll probably hear more about the story in a few minutes. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Today is Communion Sabbath, and I wanted to prepare our hearts for that by telling the story that Ed's uh, text refers to. Um, It was on Friday, a week before the crucifixion, Jesus had arrived in the home of of his friends Lazarus, Mary, and Martha in Bethany. Bethany is just right down the hillside and right up the next hillside from Jerusalem. And um, it was a special retreat. Keep in mind that just ahead of him was the most important and yet frightening moments of the entire history of this world when Jesus would go to the cross. So scary that even Jesus asked if there was any way to avoid this, please let, him, let it be avoided. And he knew that that was coming and he wanted to be with his friends in Bethany for just a few moments before all of the chaos of that last week took place. Our Savior appreciated a quiet home and interested listeners. So often when we think of Jesus, we completely ignore his own feelings when we think about the impact that his care and concern had upon others. We are lost in those feelings and we don't think so much about how Jesus felt about things. And we know here that Jesus needed love. He needed to be accepted. He needed to be with people who would show him tenderness, courtesy and affection. Jesus was not without those needs. That Saturday night, he was invited as guest of honor at Simon's feast. Simon was a Pharisee. Now, the story is told here, if you'd like to follow along, and please do. And I'm going to hope that you have enough fingers to do this. Uh, the story is told in three different places, and so just open up and stick your finger or a marker in each one of them. Just have your Bible in front of you now, because we're going to be using these ones. One is in Matthew chapter 23, and in Matthew you'll find a version of the story, and then you'll find another one, Matthew uh, 26, and we're going to start 6 through 13. Do you have that? Matthew 26, 6 through 13. Now, if you found that, mark that, hold your finger in there, whatever you need to do, and then flip over to the very next book, Mark, chapter 14, and those verses are 
chapter 14, 3 through 9. And you can see the story is told again there. All right? Mark 14, 3 through 9. Yeah. And then, one last place. Do you have enough ability to mark another one here? The Gospel of John. Very different account than the other two. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Very different account. Same story. Different account. Do you have those three now? The last one again was John 12, 1 through 8. Now as a Pharisee, Simon's status in the community was based upon his holiness, or at least his perceived holiness. But Simon had contracted a terrible dreaded disease. And it was believed by the people in his religious community whose favor that he just must have that this disease was a result of just the opposite of holiness, great sinfulness. Can you imagine that? Someone whose life is so dependent, his reputation, his esteem, and all of his self-worth upon being holy, now is stricken with a disease that is proof positive in his community that he is being condemned by God because he's a great sinner. Am I speaking loud enough? Can you hear what I'm saying? Okay. What an irony. Uh, How typical though, right? We see God doing stuff like this. He just so quickly just flicks the hourglass upside down and and the grains go the other direction. Our life just starts, it just flips over. And he does that. Jesus does that. The Gospels are full of such ironies, terrible twists of fate. And if we are too slow or blind to find truth in our own heart, God helps us by turning our heads upside down. He does that for us. In this case, Simon's attitude towards sinners was totally without compassion. He, had, he would never show compassion to these Uh, lepers and now he became one himself God allowed him to be one hoping that the experience would teach him some compassion has God ever done that to us has God ever turned the tables on us and flipped us so totally upside down that it seemed like we have been totally abandoned by him and everything has been turned to naught or even worse than naught He did it with Simon. And we're telling Simon's story as one of the stories today. After some time had passed, uh, Jesus found him begging beside a road. And this story may be the one that we read about in the Bible. And you don't have to look these up, but if you're writing text down, you may want to look at this. Because the Bible tells us about Jesus meeting a, a leper. If thou canst help me, Please heal me. And that's in Matthew chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, and also told in Mark 1, 40 through 45. 
Now, Jesus was just walking by, and I kind of think it might be Simon, just the way the Bible works that way. It's so typical of the Bible to include these stories. Anyway, Jesus healed him. He asked to be healed. Jesus felt compassion upon him. What does the word compassion mean? You feel what they feel. Simon didn't have the ability to feel what the lepers were feeling. Jesus felt his feelings and instantly healed him. Would Simon become more feeling and compassionate because compassion was shown to him? You would think so. He was so thrilled by being made well that he threw a feast to honor Jesus to say thank you. It would be natural, as we said, for Simon's appreciation to overflow toward his healer and then perhaps to those of his fellow lepers that he had tasted what it was like being a leper. Politeness is an honored practice in the Middle East. And if a host wanted to show hospitality, three things were required when you visited their home. Listen to these. First, the host would place his hand on the guest's shoulder. Just kind of get a picture of this. As the host greets a guest at the door, the first thing he does is put his hand on his shoulder and give him a kiss of peace. And in these actions that I'm telling you that the host did, he was showing that he cared and he valued this person. And they were under now his special protection. The hand on the shoulder, the kiss of peace, a mark of respect, never omitted, especially if the guest was an important rabbi. So he threw a feast to his healer, who was indeed a very important rabbi. What was that guest's name? It was Jesus. The second thing that the host would do, this is etiquette, proper etiquette. Since the roads were only dust tracks and shoes were merely soles with uh, leather straps tied to them, they would bring out cool water and it was poured over the guest's feet to cleanse and to comfort the guest. Oh, you know, have you ever had your feet ache? I mean, your whole body knows about it. Not just your feet. Your whole body aches in sympathy with your feet, right? And so, to show courtesy and love and compassion, one of the things you did, the arm on the shoulder, the kiss on the cheek, and water on the feet. The host was thinking about the needs of the traveler. The third thing, then a pinch of sweet-smelling incense was burned or a drop of attar of roses was placed on the guest's forehead. Have you ever had these things happen to you when you went to somebody's house? Now, if to the degree, stay with me here, to the degree that the host shows you in one deed after another after another these kind of things, does it make an impression? <laughs> and what kind of an impression does it make? Comforting? 
that maybe the host might think you're very important and you maybe feel a little bit more important as a result of that? Special? Do you feel a bond right away taking place? Yeah. Yeah. So these were the things that were done. You remember? Jesus felt compassion on Simon, healed him instantly. Simon was showing appreciation, gratitude, inviting him to his house, and not one of these things were done to Jesus according to the story. Not one of these things. God had given him, by having leprosy fall upon him, an opportunity to understand and be more compassionate. Instead of this hard-nosed, religiosity type of a person, to become more sensitive to caring concerns of others, none of that, and certainly none of this compassionate greeting and welcoming and love that a host shows a visitor. Well, why? Simply because Simon couldn't. There was one thing that was still driving him above all other things, his standing among his fellow Pharisees. And his house was filled with Pharisees. Why was he having a house filled with Pharisees? He wanted to say, look at me. <laughs> I'm clean. <laughs> I'm holy again. I'm in your group again. And the Pharisees had no talent or no interest at all in Jesus. In fact, they hated him. And he would not violate his need for acceptance. He would never put himself in jeopardy again. He would be appreciative of Jesus, but that's about as far as it went. You know, you can appreciate somebody and still be very distant from them. I think churches are filled with people that appreciate Jesus and don't know how to be intimate and at one with him. Just a polite distance. It was a joyous occasion, just six days before Passover. And there he was, Jesus, reclining at the table of Simon. And on one side, there was Simon. On the other side of Jesus, there was Lazarus. Wow. I think that was the best party in town that night. <laughs> Wouldn't you have wanted to see that? A leper healed, man from the dead brought back to life. Wow. You would tell about that party the rest of your life, wouldn't you? And there's Jesus right in the middle of those two. Right there. What a comeback party Simon had planned. Everyone was crowding in. But there was one guest at that party that so far no one had noticed uninvited, unexpected, clinging to the shadows. Do you know who that was? There was Mary. What was wrong with Mary? Mary had had a very troubled life, equally condemned by the Pharisees for her behavior as a great sinner. And therefore, you couldn't associate with her. Because she was a great sinner. Horrible things had happened to Mary. 
You remember, how did Jesus meet Mary? Do you remember how that happened? Oh, they drug her in front of him and they had her on the ground and they were all kinds of accusations and they were used her as a test case, a litmus test case for Jesus. And how did Jesus meet Mary? What did he do? Yes, he did not. And just like with Simon, he felt compassion for her and instantly healed her. And so there you have at Simon's feast two people, the host and an uninvited guest. And a drama is going to play out. She had been freed from her sin by Jesus. She came like Simon to express gratitude to this feast. Hers was a private mission. Simon wanted everybody to see what he was doing. She didn't want anybody to see what was taking place. She just wanted to show her appreciation to Jesus. Her whole being was flooded with gratitude. And like Simon, she knew how terrible her life had been before Jesus and how completely it had changed because of Jesus. Hadn't that been true for Simon too? Completely? And if she would have stopped to think about it, she probably would not have come to that feast. It would have scared her too much. But she followed the direction of what? Probably the Holy Spirit, but also probably what else? This heart that said you must tell Jesus how absolutely grateful you are. And that was driving her. I think so often in Christianity, we don't let that voice speak as strongly as it should. Like Simon, he wanted to show gratitude, but he kept it at a very civil level, acceptable level. Certainly wasn't good and put himself in any jeopardy. But Mary, no, no, no. She had been so terribly troubled by Satan in her life. And Jesus had healed her so completely. She had to let him know that she understood what he had done. How great a healing it was and how much it had changed her life. And the only way she could do that was just the outflow of all of those emotions coming to Jesus and he would understand. Do you remember the statement I said at the beginning? How Jesus longs for appreciation. He is not stoic. He is like us. And how would you feel when someone goes to great risk and maybe personal embarrassment, maybe even personal shame, to come to you and tell you how important what you have done for them has been? You'd remember it forever. And someone did that. And Mary wanted to tell Jesus exactly that. Since ancient times, it had been the practice in Israel to anoint kings. Jesus was now just Jesus. After the cross, he would go to heaven and he would be king of kings and lord of lords. Watch what happens next.
sinful Mary, unbeknown, unplanned, was the one, only human, upon which the honor of anointing Jesus fell. Sinful Mary. You know what? Simon could have done that too, couldn't he have? But Mary was the only one that had the pleasure of doing that. Remember, Jesus has feelings. And what Mary did touched his heart so completely and so thoroughly. She forever became remembered in a very special capacity. Why? Because she let those feelings out. Simon couldn't. Mary did let them out. Because she allowed herself to feel unrestrained love, not measured, but unrestrained love for Jesus and had the courage to act upon those feelings. What an irony. Simon could have, Mary did. Both in great need, both healed equally, she did, he didn't. You getting the picture? Heaven was looking with great deal of interest in this drama taking place. In Luke 7, verse 38, we see that she stole up close behind Jesus, not intending to even be visible by anybody. But then she opened this bottle containing this amazing perfume, very special. Ladies wore these around their necks. And um, when she opened that, all of a sudden the room became aware that Mary was there. Everybody knew she was there. And she, where was she? At Jesus' feet. And you remember, that would be in the shadows because they leaned down at the couch with kind of the feet away from the table, right? And here you have Lazarus, and here you have Jesus, and here you have, you know, Simon, and Mary comes in. You get the picture in your mind. And she opens up this little vial of beautiful perfume and pours it on the feet of Jesus. And then what does she do? Women tied up their hair early on in their lives to be untied when they got married. And she was saying, Lord, you're my husband. You're, you're the first one in my life. My affections go to you first and foremost. Wow. And she unbinds her hair and she just pours with tears and this perfume and washes her hair just takes her hair and just holds and caresses. Picture that. Jesus had emotions like we do. I want you to turn to the back of your bulletin. Uh, Ed was so kind to put several of these things. I, I, I decided I wanted to see what um, Desire of Ages had written about this. And look at this second one. We've already read the first one. Our Redeemer thirsts for recognition. He hungers for the sympathy and love of those whom he has purchased with his own blood. He longs with inexpressible desire that they should come to him and have life. 
as a mother watches for the smile of recognition from her little child, which tells of the drawing of intelligence, she does, so does Christ watch for the expression of grateful love, which shows that spiritual life is begun in the soul. Did you see that last line? The expression of love is evidence that spiritual life has begun in the soul. Wow. That's something. And next down, Jesus watched with um, earnestness and the changing countenances of his hearers. And those faces expressed interest and pleasure, gave him great satisfaction. As the arrow of truth pierced to the soul, breaking through the barriers of selfishness and working contrition and finally gratitude, the Savior was made glad. When his eyes swept over the throng of listeners and he recognized among them the faces he had see, before seen, his countenance lighted up with joy. These tell us that our reactions affect him. Well, you would expect that, wouldn't you? There was one person at that party that made his whole soul light up with joy. And how sad it was when the other didn't. The human heart longs for sympathy and suffering. This longing Christ felt to the very depths of his being. And then skipping down the next one in the bold type, he accepted the wealth of pure affection, which his disciples did not, would not understand. That anointment was a symbol of the heart of the giver, and it was an outward demonstration of a love fed by heavenly streams until it overflowed. Do you love those quotes? I love those quotes. Hmm. Now I want you to look at Luke chapter 7. You may still have your markers there, but look at Luke chapter 7. Can you think of any other time in the ministry of Jesus when he became the object of such love as this one? Can you? This is it. This is it. Now, Mary did all of these things, washing his feet with her hair and all of that, and the whole room became transfixed upon that moment, and Jesus would not interrupt it at all. He was just going to just thrill in it. He was on his way to the cross, and do you think he kept this thought in his heart as he did go that way? Wow. Then he turned to Simon, Luke chapter 7, the one on one side that um, did not do these things. And he said to Simon, Luke chapter 7, verses 39 through 48. Let's look at it. <clears throat> now when the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this. Saw what? Mary had done. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Oh man, he's a Pharisee through and through. I think a miracle was wasted on him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. The same voice that said, Be thou made whole, 
is now going to say something else to him. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, and by the way, neither one of these could repay Jesus adequately for that miracle that he had given, he graciously forgave them both. You see who the story is about. Which one of them therefore loved him more? Simon answered and said, well, I suppose the one who was forgiven more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who has forgiven little loves little. He was still reaching out. Is there a heart inside this Pharisee? And he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Oh my, what a story. Judas, Mary's act of devotion that night in Simon's house, his feast, made Judas so uncomfortable like all the rest of the Pharisees there, that he rushed out from that home and completed the arrangements for the betrayal. Isn't it strange? Listen to me carefully here. Isn't it strange how emotions that were so sacred to Jesus, so visible and unrestrained, so important for Jesus, turns church people so completely off? Did you hear what I just said? To the point that it's a trigger to go out and deny, finish the arrangements to be the betrayer. He didn't think that emotions had any part in his religion. And guess what? Was that true? He was running on so much emotion that a few days later, acting solely on emotion, he hung himself. Likewise, the courtyard was filled with Pharisees who measured everything according to how righteous it would make them feel or appear in the eyes of others. Well, they had to be touched by Mary's emotions, but they were not prepared to yield. It was Mary's devotion to Jesus that exposed the hearts of all the others in that room. I believe that there's going to come a day before our Lord comes back when Christians are going to be just so much like Mary in that feast. They're going to be so filled with acts of, uh, well, with a response of, that emotion can only bring for what Jesus had done.
touches their soul so completely and thoroughly that it cannot be held back. It's hard to find an example like Mary's, but I believe that we're going to see a generation that will be just like her. And people, mostly church people, will say, we will not accept that at all. Condemned by all, she literally fell at his feet and became lost in just Jesus. And that's the way it's going to be, I think, before he comes back. Now, you remember the passage. Where is it, Ed? Our sermon title here. I love this, this story here. It tells us in uh, Mark 14, verse 9. Would you turn with, there again? Jesus said something about Mary that is so very special. Mark 14, verse 9. <clears throat> Truly, he says, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, that also which this woman has done shall be spoken of in memory of her. Can you remember Jesus saying that about anything else? He has perpetuated this. He has established a service that he wants to be repeated in his church until he comes back. That service we hold every 13th Sabbath or thereabouts in all of our churches. And it's a service that reminds us of the cross. It's a service that reminds us of our need for humility to one another. And then he said this about Mary. And that service, I think, takes us there. Is here is love. Just total love for Jesus and appreciation. Very much aware that she was a sinner. Very much aware that Jesus had changed her life and she had been made forgiven by Jesus. And I think if there's ever a time in the life of the church, it's when we have these kind of services that are really important. They remind us of how genuine and how simple and how wonderful our salvation is. And so even until today, the story of Mary is kind of linked to this service. And I wanted you to think about that. And so, when you wash each other's feet, remember that washing of Jesus' feet actually was her opportunity to anoint him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And Jesus was so struck with that that I think he put that right down. I think this is where foot washing begins. This was even before he washed the feet of the disciples. Maybe it was part of that that had him do the other. And that was the original foundation for the other. I don't know all the answers, but I can't help but think that that was a big thing on his mind. So, God wants us to have genuine, sincere, unrestrained love. Appreciation of where we have been and that Jesus has taken us from that place and changed it completely.
I'll be reading from uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Let's bow our heads. Our dear Father in heaven, we thank you again for the opportunity to come together to celebrate communion and the sacrifice it uh, you made for us, dear Jesus, and uh, also the sacrifice you made, dear Father in heaven, in giving us our, your Son. We ask for your blessing on these emblems of your blood and your body that was broken for our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
how simple and how quiet and how reflective this service is. We're simply asked to take this wafer and put it in our mouths and chew on it, representing its its body of Jesus. Our sins have broken him. And then we accept it and it becomes part of life to ourselves. sins have broken my Savior's body. But then he gives us this cup that represents his blood which washes away my guilt. He gives this cup which represents his blood which washes away my sins. made well. Uh, John? I thought one thing that we could uh, remember at this time uh, we're part of our close is in Psalms 103. This is just such a beautiful hymn of praise, psalm of praise um, in Communion being a type of mini baptism, I, I remember when I was uh, away from God and and uh, I just had felt so lost and I was coming back to Him. I'd left the church for some time and I, I just was just pleading with God to forgive me, to ask Him. I asked it, uh, was praying for His healing and and just in the middle of my prayer, I just this. It wasn't a spoken word, but a deep impression came over me. It says, praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And as soon as those words came into my mind right afterwards, it said Psalms 103. And I opened up the Bible to Psalms 103. And, of course, in the King James Version, that was the very first words. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is from the Living Bible, but I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. So I just want to praise God. And now may the blessing of the Lord stay with us. May we never forget that today we have been forgiven and made well. Praise his holy name.
I just want to say one additional thing. I had the pleasure of washing Richard's feet today. He let me do that for the first time. Really special. And then I had the, we all had the pleasure, excuse me, he's very shy and bashful, but watching Richard wash his daddy's feet for the first time. Really something special. Thank you, Richard. All righty. <laughs> what is it? Was it Bobby or Richard? It's Richard. Yeah, I had it right. Yeah, I thought. No, the boy. Son's name. Okay. Send us forth with your blessing, Lord. Rich and abundant blessing indeed. May we never forget that we have had the pleasure of washing your feet as we've washed each other's feet today, like Mary did. May we never forget that uh, you have washed our feet like Mary washed your feet, showing the great love. And we have partaken at your table, and we have recognized that we have broken your body, and we have been made clean. By your grace, representative of that juice that we take, bless us throughout this week and bless our church family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.